All right, everybody, welcome back to the Dodge Movie Podcast, episode 72. We're kicking off this month of race films with Days of Thunder, directed by Tony Scott, who also directed Top Gun and Beverly Hills Cop 2, and True Romance, that was uh, Quentin's first film, only as writer, not director. I'd like to uh, just pop in a little bit about another film we already talked about that involves motor vehicle. Mm -hmm. It happened one night. And listener Christian very astutely noticed that there's some dialogue that explains why they have a rope on which to hang their clothes and a blanket and such in the movie. So congrats to listener Christian for noticing that dialogue and letting us know. Thanks a lot, everyone. Yeah, we love interactive listeners. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Love it. So sadly, on a sad note, sad note, not to bring down the party, but... Tony Scott passed away in 2012. He was an avid car enthusiast. Vroom. And his did you know his brother is Ridley Scott? You know, now that you mention it, I think I did know that at one time. Yeah, his brother convinced him to work at his production company instead of the BBC by telling him that he'd have a Ferrari within a year. Ooh. And, and he did. Awesome. Isn't that neat? Yeah. Uh, and I hope it wasn't just the, the Hot Wheels Ferrari. I hope it was an actual drivable Ferrari. Yeah, yeah. And then just to keep continuing down the Tony Scott rabbit hole, he inherited the ashes of his longtime friend and LSD guru, Timothy Leary. Whoa, that's like a punishment. <laughs> Why would you want somebody else's ashes? And for some reason, he kept them in the toilet of his Beverly Hills home. Like inside the tank? Well, I assume in some container. <laughs> right, but still, like he's hiding them. Like people are going to break in to steal Timothy Leary's, Leary's ashes. ashes. right. <laughs> okay, got to write that down in the movie ideas book. <laughs> Let's see. I will I will stop with the uh, Tony Scott trivia, but I just, I found it interesting. This movie came out in 1990. It stars Tom Cruise, Robert Duvall, Nicole Kidman, Randy Quaid, Carrie Elways, Michael Rooker, and John C. Riley. And as we discussed, this wasn't Nicole Kidman's first film, but it was her her big break, we think. Yes. She was in Dead Calm, which she got a little bit of notoriety for, but this was kind of like the one that put her on the map. Yes. According to what I found, she was 23 at the time of filming. So wow. a youngster. Just a baby. The music is by Hans Zimmer. Hans. And it was produced by Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson, similar to Top Gun. It was filmed in Charlotte, North Carolina, Phoenix, Arizona, Bristol, Tennessee, Darlington, South Carolina, Daytona, and Magna, Utah. I don't know of a NASCAR track in Utah, though. Well, there's one in Magna. <laughs> no way to know. And it was written by Robert Town. The synopsis of this film, if you've been living under a rock, is provided by IMDb, and it is a hot, a young hotshot stock car driver gets his chance to compete at the top level. And this movie was conceived actually by Tom Cruise when he and Paul Newman were allowed to test drive one of Rick Hendricks, Hendricks, Hendricks race cars, and Tom's first lap was in excess of 180 miles per hour. And I think he he got the need for speed, and and so he said, "This we've got to make a movie." Nice Top Gun callback there. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to say that when Far and Away came out, I referred to that as Top Mick, and this was Top Hick. I thought all of Tom Cruise films should be a top something. Oh. <laughs> Why Hick? Just because that tends NASCAR to... NASCAR is yeah. associated with the South. Okay. Got and it. it rhymed with Mick. See, it's Yeah, like well, I got that thing. far. I got that far. Tom Cruise and Robert Duvall's characters are loosely based on former driver Tim Richmond and his crew chief, Harry Hyde. Richmond was known as an 
overnight sensation and Hyde as a veteran crew chief, the scene where Duval's character teases Cruz about tire management is based on an actual incident between Hyde and Richmond, who died from complications from AIDS the year before the film was released. That is interesting. I think most of the interesting scenes and, and, and things that happen in the film are based on actual NASCAR racing. Yes, history. they are. I don't see this in my notes right now, but I do remember from doing some research for this film that they actually, Tony and, or no, they sent Robert, Bruckheimer and Simpson paid to send Robert two years before they made this around to all the NASCAR races for research, you know, to get stuff for the script. And, but yet, even on the set, they would argue about how to shoot some of the scenes. And so the crew sat around sometimes 20 hours a day, but they were still getting paid. And so some said that they made so much in overtime that they could have gone on vacation for four full months after the wrap date because of how much money they made in overtime. So a couple of years ago, a race, I think it was Daytona 500, was rained out. And so they played this documentary. It's called The Golden Hour. Uh, apparently it was produced by NASCAR, and it's about the making of Days of Thunder. And I didn't see the whole thing. I only saw portions of it. But that, I think, would be a fascinating documentary because one of the things that they talked about was how they missed many, many release dates. And they were coming up along the summertime blockbuster kind of tentpole and they finally had to just release it but it was like something where they got they made an edit bay in a nearby high school and it was just kind of craziness it didn't sound like the production was was very well run it was pretty chaotic no and kind of it reminded me of when we see the 80s portrayed and just how you know kind of going along with that whole wall street idea of greed and excess It said in Daytona, Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer spent $400,000 to have a vacant storefront in their hotel converted into a private gym. They put a neon light that said Days of Thunder. And Don Simpson, this sounds like such a gross thing. He would keep a closet full of Donna Karen dresses to offer attractive women assistance that he found on the beach. Sure. And in air quotes, assistance. And they held private parties with friends like rapper Tone Loke, and they threw a special welcome party for the crew at a nightclub with minimal food and drink, no music, but plenty of hookers, like hookers and blow. Like, you know, you can just see this excess, like this is the end of the 80s, and most of whom they limited to a roped off VIP area with themselves and Tom Cruise. I mean, it just sounds like debauchery is going on. I think it probably was. (laughs) But why be a rich Hollywood producer if you can't have hookers and blow i don't know it's so reminiscent of like when we talked about the player right right yeah yeah yeah. all right so enough of the trivia and everything well i'll sprinkle some trivia throughout but mike what's our pickup line welcome to the daytona 500 the super bowl of racing and i love that opening scene because it it's totally gives you the vibe of a race right we see the rvs with the fans right you know on top with their beer we see the pits We pan across the stands with all the race fans and, you know, the kids with their cans on to protect their ears. And it just very much, I thought, set the the setting. Yeah, they drop us right into the milieu of the film. Yep. Under casting and acting, I said, Robert Duvall is like perfect in this in this part i mean i think when i see him in anything else i think of him in this character this and the movie that he did oh the the title's escaping me julia roberts and kira sedgwick play his daughters and a thousand acres 
No, 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 no. No, it's like, it's kind of like a romantic comedy. Julia Roberts is... A horse person. Yes, yes. And so that character and this character is who I feel like Robert Duvall like really is in real life. Interesting. I thought you would have gone with his character in Four Christmases. (laughs) No, no, I I give him tons of acting credit. I don't think he's at all like that guy. (laughs) Oh, okay. I love him in that role. But I think I think he's he's basically Henry Hyde. Yeah, I can't imagine that character played by any other anyone actor. else exactly that's what i'm saying yeah. i love him in this movie robin wright was first suggested for the role of claire and listen to everyone else who went out for it so nicole kidman should feel extremely lucky i mean i wonder was this a budget decision but listen to who else turned down this role okay <laughs> maybe this said something about dame or dom cruise Kim Basinger, Sandra Bullock, Allison Duty. Sorry, Allison, but I don't know who you are. Jodie Foster, Sarah Jessica Parker, Heather Locklear, Madonna, Michelle Pfeiffer, Molly Ringwald, Julia Roberts, the aforementioned, Meg Ryan, Brooke Shields, Sharon Stone, and Ali Sheedy. Like, I have to say, Sarah Jessica Parker is probably the only one that really makes sense. As the nurse? Well, no, she's a doctor. Oh, so that's right. That's right. She's a Jewish person. They like to, They like to send them to medical school. <laughs> But yeah, that's an interesting kind of like, did all those people have scheduling? I could maybe see Sharon Stone. Sorry, I interrupted you. I was going to say, did all those people have scheduling conflicts? Like, why did they land on Nicole Kidman? But, you know, budget could be, especially because we, you know, they had to save $400,000 for that (laughs) stripper gym. (laughs) So got to come from somewhere. And I thought this was a fun fact because you've been spotting Margot Martindale. And I spotted her in the very early scene when when Cruz comes, what's his name? Uh, Cole Trickle. When he comes to first, like, prove that he can be the driver. And she's sitting up in a chair. She looks like a script supervisor, quite honestly. Yeah. And she's sitting there, I guess, timing is what her job is. She's on, has no lines. I think she's uncredited, too. It's her first feature film. Right. So this was before GPS and digital timing. So yeah, they had people and sometimes even had special clipboards with the stopwatches. And this is the one I like. I saw, I don't know how common this was, but I did see one where there were three stopwatches and they all had like a bar to synchronize them. So you saw it in the movie or like somewhere else? Somewhere else. I don't know where. It could have been another movie. It could have been Ford versus Ferrari for all I know. But I thought that was clever that you don't trust one stopwatch. You got to have three. Right. To be that accurate, right? Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, but timing was a big deal. And like a lot of things back then that uh, were clerical in nature, they delegated that to a lady. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you think of some of the other casting? Like John C. Riley or Randy Quaid? I thought Randy Quaid did a really good job. He's a good cast because apparently he was able to channel some insanity, right? Because <laughs> that owner was not at all sane. But probably you could argue it's insane to sponsor a race team. It's, it's just a, the old joke is, how do you get a million dollars in racing? Start with three million. So he, he was going to lose money no matter what. Right. But he had a... a, a a really interesting phrase after one of Cole's first races, he said, we ended up looking like a monkey fucking a football out there. Oh, dear. I don't even, a monkey and a football. What What the heck does that mean? <laughs> Maybe he was going off script there. That was a little bit of improv. Oh, let's say that would be awesome if it was Or improv. Robert Town heard that somewhere it, yeah. on when he was doing his research uh, probably and said, right? I got to write yeah. that in the movie. Yeah. So that was interesting. But I, th- I thought Randy Quay was good cast there. I thought Michael Rooker did a really good job as Rowdy. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
I mean, that's such an iconic scene when the two of them are right. in the hospital doing the... The one casting I actually did have a little bit of problem with was Nicole Kidman because of the age. I think she's gorgeous in this film. Camera loves her. Mm-hmm. Pulls that off. But at 23, I don't see how you could get through med school and your residency and have enough experience to be an expert neurosurgeon by that point at 20, age 23. Yeah. No, very, very good point. Yeah. And of course, the biggest problem I have with casting, although I didn't at the time, is Tom Cruise. Right. But although it works and like one of the notes is he's just like Maverick. I mean, yeah. they basically took Maverick and put him because he's always breaking the rules and right. pushing the line. Right. That's right. I'm dangerous. <laughs> right. Ice man. <laughs> yeah. So Somebody should do, if they haven't already, I got to look this up when we get done and I'll put it in the show notes if I find it. I want somebody to put together a montage of all the times that Tom Cruise flexes his jaw <laughs> yeah. in all of his movies. <laughs> Yeah, jaw flex. <laughs> oh, that's a YouTube thing, probably. That has to be. I hope it right. exists. Okay, what music do you put under that? Under oh. that footage? I think Flight of the Bumblebees. Well, yeah, I was just gonna say, do you go serious, like like one of the Transformer? Yeah. yeah. Or do you go way against type and just do something like very? Oh, the Ben like Hill a, music. Like oh. <laughs> <laughs> Or, like, is there some childhood song about, I don't know, I don't know, I can't think of anything. But if you're one. happy and you know it, yes. clench your jaw. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Okay, we're getting off topic. So, in the cinematography department, right. Tony Scott was an advocate of churroscuro. You know, I love to say that word. Right. They're also really tasty when you get them at the fair. No, not that kind. Oh, oh. This is a type of cinemagraphic style where one side of the either the screen or the actor's face will be well lit and the other will be in a shadow. Right. Very, very hard lighting traditionally, Mm -hmm. I think. Right. And he he frequently was known to have the sunlight flashing at the characters to make it look like more active, like more action was taking place. Wow. So I did my homework for this one. I noticed there was a lot of fog in that (laughs) barn and every garage. In the hospital? Yeah. I was going to get to that. Um, Oh, sorry. Not only is there fog in the hospital, which is a little disturbing. (laughs) It's problematic. But it's super dark in the emergency room. Yes. And I am pretty confident emergency rooms are lit on purpose very well so they can see what they're doing. It doesn't make any sense. I I mean, I get it from a, a visual standpoint, but it's an emergency room. They're known for lights. Yes. Well lit. Okay. Okay. Yeah, breathe through it. Breathe through I know it. there was a lot of fog machine. Now I'll give it. I'll give you a good fog machine. The scene with Harry in the garage oh. talking to the car. Oh yeah, perfect. That's a perfect time to use the fog machine in an OR. Nope. Not. <laughs> I'm gonna nope that no one out. fog machine. Okay, so uh, no disrespect to the late Tony Scott. And we did have a pause, I believe, for my next question, <laughs> which is, did they dolly or steady cam the wheelchair race? They had they had to have dollied it. I think they had to have dollied it. No tracks, but just dollied it. Yeah. Well, they could have thrown the camera person in another wheelchair. Yeah, although you have a, a dolly is probably more stable. Yeah. And they have a couple of grips running them through the hallway. Yeah, because you got to keep up with those two. Maybe the golden hour has that footage and can answer that question there for There you it. go. Right. You know the scene where Harry tells Cole to go out and hit the pace car? Oh, one of my favorites. Real life situation with driver Buddy Baker and his crew chief at the time, Harry Hyde. 
I'd heard that, probably because of that, that Dale Sr. said something very similar to Dale Jr. in one of Dale Jr.'s first races in NASCAR. Oh, yeah? He, he basically told him to go out and hit whatever, because, you, you you know, might as well be perfect. Right. So, that's... um. Uh, I don't know. I, I could I could see a parent being frustrated, especially if dad was paying for the car. Exactly. I like the scene when, well, right after Tom admits that he knows nothing about the cars, he gets very vulnerable and he admits to Harry that he needs him because he doesn't know anything about the cars. And so then Harry uses his lack of car knowledge to give him confidence in that next race because he's like, oh, no, I put special tires on your <laughs> yeah, car. That's great. You're going to be fine. So he tells him to kind of push the limits and Tom's, or Cole, I should say, is hesitant because he's like, no, but yesterday you told me not to do that. And he's like, oh, no, 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 I've got special tires on. You're fine. Do it anyway. And he does. And then it's hilarious because he gets out and he's talking to the commentator and he's like, oh, no, he put special tires on. And Harry's like, no, no, I didn't. (laughs) And he's like, oh, my God, no. Yeah, I did like the line in there where they're at the bar. And by the way, the lighting there is also inexplicable relative to where they're (laughs) sitting, but that's not important right now. Right. And, 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 and Cole Trickle says something like, well, I don't know anything about cars. And Harry says, well, you're the first driver that actually admitted that or something like that. Right. And I thought that that's got to be the case where the, uh, the driver comes back and he tells the people who built the car how like, no, no, what you need to do is. Yeah. Nobody likes unsolicited advice, but especially from the idiot behind the wheel. Absolutely. The scene with the ice cream is based on an actual incident. It happened at the Southern 500 involving Hendrix Motorsports and Chief Harry Hyde and Richmond's replacement driver, Benny Parsons. So what I'm wondering is if they can ever do another NASCAR movie because they've used up all the good NASCAR stories <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> and I love at the at, kind of near the end how they bookend Harry talking to the car again. Mm-hmm. I like that. And that is such an iconic scene that it's even been reenacted in Roadkill by Mike Finnegan. So <laughs> that was... Uh, I, I think it's been reenacted quite a bit. I wouldn't be surprised if even one of our listeners could do the dialogue from that scene by, by heart. Off, <laughs> off book. <laughs> exactly, exactly. One of our um, podcasters probably could too. <laughs> the editing during that hospital scene where they're racing, I love how it's juxtaposed especially once they get in the car and now you've got screeching tires and all that stuff that juxtaposed to Fred Thompson. Yeah. I think Fred Thompson. Yeah. And Randy Quaid, his character at the restaurant and it's just like bone quiet. I don't even think there's like classical music playing, but maybe there is. And it just goes cuts back and forth. I I like that scene and that style of Mm -hmm. editing to amplify the noisy car chase and then the quiet of them just sitting there bored at the at the the dining table waiting yeah, yeah, for yeah. them yeah is there anything else that you want to chat about the film before i go into talking about sound well i would say there there were some filming techniques that i thought were a little heavy-handed and and one of them was the exposition about why harry quit racing was delivered by the race announcer as off-screen and i, I didn't really think the race announcer would go into a history in the middle of a race but i understand that they wanted to try to get to get that out for uh, the viewers to understand kind of what, what went on but there there's some some writing that was a little bit hard for me to swallow mm-hmm. the first was that rowdy burns spins the king richard petty in in the first the first time we see him mm-hmm. I, I don't know that you would do that at that point in Richard Petty's career, I think that would be a dangerous thing to do because there would be payback. So that was a little... And also, I am a little concerned with how Claire is as a doctor. So first of all, 
I'm pretty sure part of the Hippocratic Oath is don't have sex with your patients. That's one of the things I bet is covered in there. Right. But there's also, she's on the phone with Cole when her boss comes by in the ER and says she's needed, and she waves him off and keeps talking to Cole. (laughs) I don't think you're an ER neurosurgeon if you prioritize talking to your boyfriend over helping some guy who just came in with a head injury. Right. So that was a little rough on... A little on, problematic Yeah, a little you. problematic with Claire there. But, you don't want to be the her patient. Right. Certainly not. <laughs> I, I kind of trust Rowdy on this one. But so, you know, but it's it's an action film. Don't look too closely. So back to your, your Richard Petty. Would yeah, there yeah. ever be a scenario where a young new driver would would maybe try to push a Richard Petty level driver off the track or into the wall to show like you're not all that or i've got some tricks too or kind of to show to try to make his presence known i I don't think so because in nascar there is too much contact that's allowed and you need too much cooperation especially at like the super speedways Uh uh-huh if you develop a reputation Mm-hmm. Other people will crash you constantly and your career will be over. There's, a, I, I think, a code mm-hmm. in, that you, you can't crash other people too frequently or they get mad, right? And then they'll take it out on you. So it's not out of reverence for Petty. It's because they'll just be, there will be payback. Right. Well, part of that is reverence. An established driver like that, you know, has connections. It's just you wouldn't mess with the old dog. Right. So it is It is somewhat reverence. Yeah, I think there's a, a bit of it. However, I think you probably, uh, two young rookies could probably mess with each other more, but there still would be payback. And that's why NASCAR has fistfights in the in the pits, because people get a little, little testy when you crash them at 180 miles an hour. Right. Okay. So on to sound. I appreciate it when a sound editor will carry a sound through to another scene to kind of create some cohesiveness. And I noticed it when they pull the prank on Tom Cruise near the end when everybody's laughing at him and he's kind of like, all right, you got me. He bangs his head on the side of the 18 wheeler and they carry that sound kind of like an L in editing, they call it an L cut, but the sound is an L cut and it's pounding into the next scene at the track. I didn't mark that down in my head trauma list, but good catch. Yeah, I liked it. I like it when they do that. We noticed in the trivia that at the beginning of the Daytona race, which is the final race of the movie, that if you listen very carefully, apparently we missed it. (laughs) We forgot to pay attention. When the person who says, gentlemen, start your engines, it's the voice of Burt Reynolds. And that makes sense because he was a Florida native. And I'm sure that that year they were he announced the race so they just you know kept it in but didn't didn't have to pay him he's also been in quite a few car movies right he has smoking the bandit series the cannonball runs and i think isn't it called stroker ace yes he's a a movie where he's a driver Yes. Harold Faltemeyer, that you will, oh, you Beverly 80s Hills Cop. babies, yes, will remember from doom, doing... Doom, 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 Stop, doom. we have to pay for it. Oh. <laughs> he turned down the scoring for this film, and he recommended Hans to the producers, and Zimmer was also recommended to Tony Scott by his brother, Ridley, and Tom Cruise. So, huh. Hans got the, the job. I believe Hans is German or Austrian? I thought he was from a Germanic-speaking country. I, I believe so. Yeah, European guy. Yes, because I believe I saw an interview and he had a uh, strong accent. So now tell me about um, some head trauma and then I have some unfortunate aquatic life that... <laughs> 
was harmed in the making of this film. Well, I made note of two particular head traumas. The first is that Rowdy and Cole presumably hit their heads in the crash based on their medical diagnoses. We didn't see the head trauma, but I think it's safe to say... Yes, and you know from certain listeners that you need even implied injury now needs yes, to be included. Yes, yes. <laughs> On an unrelated note, hi, listener, RJ. <laughs> and the other is when Rowdy falls during Claire's examination at his house at one hour, three minutes, and 19 seconds. The third element I have, I believe, is, is your avian trivia, so I'll let you oh, okay. uh, tee it up there. But Okay. So, sadly, back in the 80s when we were not being so kind to our PETA hadn't gotten maybe as involved in the filmmaking process. <laughs> uh, ASPCA wasn't putting the credit at the end of films because I cannot believe. <laughs> I, I bet the poor PAs who had to uh, do this, uh. carry this out, probably feel horrible. So I'll speak quickly. They wanted birds to scatter when the cars are racing on the beach, which I called out. I don't know if we paused, but they're racing from the hospital to the restaurant. Why the bleep did they end up on the beach? Well, okay. Now, I have a possible answer for why. Help me understand this. The filmmakers would do that. It's because NASCAR started on beach, races on beach. Yeah, but... But, okay, but I, I counter playfully. It doesn't make any sense, but you, maybe that's why. If you're racing to the restaurant, you're not going to go down to the beach. Right. The, it, it looks you're cool You're going to get to movie. the restaurant first. If Rowdy goes to the beach, I'm going to get to the restaurant first. Yeah, you can outrace him on, on, the, on the pavement. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So, anyway, they, but I'm sure Tony Scott probably... Yeah. This, this was probably an argument. Somebody yeah. had the great idea. Wouldn't it be great if the cars ran through the water and the water, like, sprayed up? Right. And so, poor PAs had to lure the birds onto the Ugh. beach with bird seed, bird seed so that the cars could run... Through the the water oh. and where the birds and were. And presumably the birds would then fly away at fluttering and make this really apparent, good image. Apparently not all the birds made it out of the way in time. Yeah. Nice going. Good job. Those birds did not get their stunt pay. <laughs> no, they did not. I hope. I hope we're not doing things like this in the movie industry anymore. I, I don't think so. I don't think you could get away with it today. There would be cell phone footage. It, oh. You would be so canceled if you did this right. today. Well, now they would probably just do it with CGI. Right. Oh, oh you mean even running? <laughs> because then you, you, Or the birds. The birds you would do with CGI because right. you could do multiple takes. You wouldn't have to lure the birds back. Oh, geez. For take two. P.A. Jimmy, move that carcass. <laughs> Uh, well, we'll just use a different part of the beach. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Let's kill more birds. You got to think like a producer in uh, the 80s. No, I'm a nice producer. You are. All right. Give us a little driving footage. And I have a fun sound thing from the driving. Oh, okay, cool. Well, one thing that I just want to throw out there, it's vaguely related, but I was just going to say, in 1990, did drivers not wear Nomex beneath their fire suits? Tom Cruise is just wearing a white t-shirt. And I'm pretty confident by 90, we discovered that Nomex was good to prevent you from getting rolled up. Burnt burned up. up. You know what else I found out about that? What's that? They sent it with mint, so you're not so stinky. Well, that would be good. I don't know. In the old days, there wasn't a lot of laundering you could do. So I think stinkiness was an issue. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, Very good. I know a racer and his suit is is mint flavored. Yeah. Well, heck, if you can, maybe they should go bacon or something. That'd be better. (laughs) 
No? Uh, okay. So early on in the film, they, they, they show them shifting. And here's the thing is back in the day, there really wasn't a lot of shifting in NASCAR. You would get up to speed and you'd be in your top gear and that's how you would race. And there is, in fact, one track. I forget. NASCAR listeners can write in and tell me whether it was Talladega or not. But there was a track where one of the drivers would shift and it was like it was worthy of note. Mm -hmm. People talk about, oh, this crazy guy, he's shifting. So that kind of bugged me that there's this thing like, oh, well, I want to go faster. So they cut in the inset of him shifting and his footing the clutch and stuff. And these cars are running as fast as they possibly can. The only reason they lift is in the turns to prevent going into the wall. It's not like they have this reservoir of horsepower and they're just cruising around and then they downshift and, and floor it to go faster. That's not how those race cars work. They're all going as fast as they can constantly. Right. Now, I did want to mention, I don't know if stock cars were still built in barns in 1990. <laughs> I think the technology had advantaged a little bit beyond that. But it looked cool. It did. Speaking of looking cool, in the race, they show a lot of really hard steering. And for the most part, at oval racing, you don't do a lot of swerving back and forth because you scrub off speed. Mm-hmm. So... Other editing, eh, I understand why the editors did it, but it's a little wacky. At the Firecracker 400, Cole is spun out by Rowdy, and then he dangerously rejoins the race, which could happen. Racers are competitive, but he's like right back in his old position. And those cars are traveling, as we've established, 150, 180 miles an hour. Yep. If you spend 30 seconds in the infield, you lose a tremendous amount of of, of space. But, you know, what are you going to do? It's, it's Tom Cruise. Movie. But what I th- think is kind of, I still don't have any explanation for this one. At the beginning of the rental car race, the Ford Taurus's rear wheels peel out, but the 89 Taurus was a front wheel drive car. So all I, I mean, the only thing that would explain that was that the production, the, the guys that they hired to do the cars for the film mm-hmm. converted it to rear wheel drive for some reason. That makes no sense to me. The cost of that, why would you? Mm-hmm. You would just buy a Taurus and destroy it. So that doesn't at all make any sense to me. And then my last note is speaking of building cars in the barn. At the end of the movie, when Harry is going to make a car for Cole again, right, mm-hmm. to race, while he's talking to him, he's holding the pink unsteady. And he would never do that because that's when you get drips. It runs down. He would never do that. If he knew how to paint cars, I don't believe he would ever hold the paint gun steady while spraying. You've watched way too many car shows on Motor Trend. Uh, Well, maybe so. But (laughs) that one just bumped me. I'm like, no, you would know better. (laughs) Well, it's interesting you talk about kind of the cars going fast and everything. So to film this and have other cars in place, I can't believe that NASCAR allowed this. I know, this is crazy. But they allowed them to run the Daytona 500 as the race is going. And so they were added near the rear of the field. They were allowed to go 100 miles. That's 40 laps. And at one point, Dale Earnhardt lapped the movie cars. And it was pretty amazing. I watched a little bit of the golden hour that you were talking about and the way that they outfitted the camera cars basically to capture the movie cars that were driving was just insane and you were talking about the lengths that they go to and changing up the cars to show the cars spinning out and wrecking like when i think it's the big wreck where they get hurt a car is spinning kind of on its nose and they showed that basically they attached the back two thirds of a car on, I don't know, it looked like a big crane or something. I don't know what would spin, but, and so it's, it's for the purposes of the film and then they like matched them together. And so this car is just spinning. Oh yeah. 
It's crazy. It is. I read one of the stunt drivers said the car he was driving was rigged for one of those crashes to do a thing. Oh, yeah. And on the dash, it had the instructions, three-step instructions. Turn wheel to left, press button, good luck. Yeah. Good luck. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, it was the 80s. I guess stunt drivers were considered about as worthy as birds. That's pretty amazing. Oh, I forgot to ask if there was a smooch. Smoochy, smoochy, smoochy. I'm sure there was, but I did make a note of it. And in my notes, it says, can't abide Tom Cruise. So I think I just blocked out any Tom Cruise I think smooching. Did. I mean, we know that him and Nicole got together. This right. is where they met. Well, and, and okay, speaking of writing that doesn't make any sense... <laughs> They're, they have this scene where obviously they've they've done the Humpty Hump because yeah. she's naked beneath the sheet and, and he's appears to be and he's doing with the little car thing and then she doesn't want him to get to her <clears throat> victory lane but they already had sex just like ten minutes ago why would she be well she just didn't want a, a sugar packet up there uh, I I think the sugar packet was Armageddon with Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler no I think this one he had a little matchbox nope. car. Nope. Nope. It was a sugar this packet. This was sugar packets. Okay. Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck were animal cookies. Oh, good memory. Yeah. Okay. Don't mess with a Ben Affleck I movie. I sit corrected. Quentin Tarantino said of this film that it was his favorite big budget racing movie. He says, yeah, yeah, you laugh, but seriously, I'm a big fan. To me, Days of Thunder is the movie Grand Prix and Le Mans should have been. Sure, it had a big budget, big stars, and a big director, Tony Scott. Remember, he directed Quentin's first movie. Yeah. Whoops. But it had... It had the fun of those early AIP movies. What does he mean, AIP? Do you know? I have no clue. AIP? Yeah, he goes, I just don't think it works if you take the whole thing too seriously. So he's He's right. He's calling out that it's not. Okay, so this film is like not maybe going to win any Academy Awards, but it it is like beyond quotable, right? It's part of culture. And the reason I say this is because it is referenced by everyone since it's come out. And you found what I consider to be probably the ultimate proof of that is that a year or two ago, as part of the NASCAR broadcast, they made a like a four minute short with Clint Boyer and Jeff Gordon reenacting the race, the race in the rental car scene. And I mean, NASCAR and people love this film. They do. They do. I think most car people like it, but NASCAR people love this film. Yeah. So... Is this a cult classic? I think it is. Yeah. 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 And it's one of these things where, like I said, don't look too closely at some parts of it. It's just a film. It's an action film, but it's watchable, rewatchable. Yeah. We enjoyed it even knowing... I mean, we... This is easily, what, fifth to tenth time we've watched it in our lifetime? Oh, gosh. Yeah. I've seen this film more, uh, literally more times than I can count. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a fun one. So last little bit of trivia. Due to the internal conflicts, the said rap date kept getting pushed back. At one point, the production schedule was revised three times. That would be such a nightmare. In a single day, leading the <laughs> unit production manager to confront Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer. In response, they told him, screw the schedule. It went from February of 1990 to the end of May, severely jeopardizing its chances of making its expected summer release date. It came out a month later. Unsurprisingly, the budget almost doubled over over this wasted time too, requiring that the movie make a then astronomical 100 million merely to break even. Just to break even, they had to make 100 million. So having said that, should we go to the numbers? Let's go to the numbers. All right. 
This film had a budget of $60 million. It made domestically 82 and worldwide 157 million. So I did the math and today that would be like making 179 million. Oh, well, I thought the inflation would have been more than that. But how much... There's no way to know this, but how much did it make in all the rentals and streams since then, right? I'm sure they've gotten back their money. Well, that's include. Oh, maybe that's not included in worldwide now that you say that. Because I think that's just like the theatrical run. Yeah, I think I once think it goes right. to VHS, we, we don't get numbers anymore. Right. I think you're right. I think uh, that I'm sure that's available somewhere, but not on the website right. that I use. <laughs> Um, This one got a score of 6 out of 10 on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes called it rotten at 38%, but audiences give it almost double that at 60%. Yeah, absolutely. I I think, uh, well, maybe I don't have uh, an objective group of people that I know, (laughs) but all the people I know like this film just fine. Right. They're all gearheads, so. (laughs) Most of them. A lot of them, yeah. Yeah. It runs an hour and 47 minutes. It's rated PG-13, and it's classified as an action drama sport film. It's a Paramount Pictures movie, and yay, Hans Zimmer won the BMI Film Music Award, and it was nominated for a Best Oscar, or an Oscar for the Best Sound, which I forgot to tell you my little tidbit. Hans added trumpeting elephants during some of the race scenes to intensify the sound of the cars going around the track. I did not know the elephants were race fans. Right? (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. This one is available on HBO Max, which is where we watched it. And listen up next week as we continue on this month of race films by talking about a very, very, very indie film that Mike found called Lady Driver. Have a great day and never forget. Dodges never stop and neither do the movies.